Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. My name is Ryan Cabrera, and I'm your co-host, and I'm here in Studio B, filmed in front of a live studio audience <laughs> with Pastor Nick Plummer. All two people. Yeah. Hey, Pastor Nick, how you doing today? I am doing very well. Yeah? Extremely well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like Dave Ramsey, better than I deserve. You know? That's true. That's yeah, a good saying. That is. is true. <laughs> it is a good saying. So uh, a couple quick announcements before we jump into the tour portion. Mish Patim, uh, we have coming up February 20th, Mr. Ken Gobb coming to our congregation as a guest speaker. And so we're very excited to hear what he has to say. Uh, according to uh, his PR folks, right, he's been to Israel over 135 times. So like... I mean, this is a guy you want to get to know, right? Like, how did you do it? What you know? What's the story here? You That's know, true. I've heard he's made connections. He's been to the prime minister's house. I I've mean, only like, been there seven times. I've only been there once. <laughs> so it's hey, better than most. Hey, but it was a good time. Yeah, it was. you know, it was a good time. So, so Ken Gob is going to be here on the twentieth uh, for our Shabbat service. So I encourage you guys to invite some friends and come out, or if you can't, invite some friends over to your house. Hey, everybody's had Super Bowl parties this last Sunday. Why not have like a Beit Tehila Ken Gob party at your house and live stream the service? I mean, that sounds like a good time. It's going to be Listen, good. The halftime show is going to be off the chain. All right, <laughs> there isn't a halftime show, but you you know what I mean. Um, also. We're entering into a brand new feast cycle. It still has that new feast cycle smell on it. We yeah. haven't even taken the plastic off. You know, you know how satisfying it is to take the plastic off a, a new, new feast cycle. Yeah, brand new feast cycle. It's going to be huge. Okay. You know, thank you, Mr. President. You're welcome. <laughs> How's that golfing coming along? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, there's only a golf course now. <laughs> yeah, well, kinda. Yeah, he's he's uh, the natives are rebelling. I hear. Uh, but we are entering a new feast cycle. Uh, Purim is coming up. And I don't know, is Purim the end of the feast cycle or the beginning of the feast cycle? It's the beginning. So we begin it's it pretty with Purim. serious. Yeah, because, you know, it's a right. circle, right? So it's like, where does one yeah, end? It's like the two the uh, bookends. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Purim, and then at the and end, Hanukkah. it's Hanukkah. So yeah. Purim is actually about preventing genocide. Correct. And Hanukkah is about assimilation. That's right, preventing assimilation. Yes, it's yep. all about assimilation. So our Purim celebration here at uh, Beit Tehillah will be held on February 27th. Uh, and that is our normal Shabbat service again. So look, one week we have Kingab, and the next week we have Purim celebration. And then the following week, beginning in March, we have Roy and Mary Kendall from oh, Israel. There's more. There is more. Roy and Mary Kendall. Uh, so the awesome stuff going on. Uh, Josiah, I hear our illustrious worship leader has put together a uh yeah like a, a little drama a little skit you know a little, a little drama uh, in regards to like um quasi sequel Purim and Susa the following year yeah the first yeah. celebration the first celebration yeah. after the year yeah it's going to be great it is going to be great so i'm excited about that so all i can say is uh, either live stream or be here one or the other there's a lot going on there's it's only two choices great. right i gave people two choices that's it be here or live stream that's it there's nothing else. All right, so we're going to jump into the Torah portion, Mishpatim, which means ordinances. And this is found in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 1 and ending in chapter 24 and verse 18. And let me remind all of you that the book of Exodus is broken up, of course, into uh, two parts. We have, of course, chapters 1 through uh, 18 is about, you know, basically deliverance. And 19 to 40 is about worship. So we're already at Exodus 19. They're going to get married and everything, which is where we're at today in the, in the modern times here with the Torah portion. And then, of course, it's from grown to glory. Remember that. We're groaning in the beginning. Then there's glory. Glory. It's a book of redemption. And I like this. Uh, a key word is the word deliver. Deliver. We have a lot of delivering services today in our world. Yeah. Uber Eats. <laughs> Amazon. DoorDash. Deliver can be very good. Mobile meals. Uh, a key expression is, as the Lord commanded Moses. So I like that because, you know, I feel like as the Lord commands Pastor Nick. Ooh. I can relate. Yeah. So, 
as the Lord commands to me, I, I share with our, our board and our leadership, and we move forward, and we've got some really great, um, I want to say, opportunities that are going to be coming that are already here. So we're going to jump right in here, and this is actually uh, in Exodus 21. The caption here is, or the headline is, Treatment of Servants. So what we're going to be talking about is kind of like uh, an employer and an employee. And so we're going to see this arrangement develop. So how long were the children of Israel allowed to buy a Hebrew servant and keep him before letting him go free for nothing? Six years. So six years. So think of an indentured uh, or indentured servitude. So basically, this is not like, you know, during the Civil War, uh, that type of slavery. Uh, You know, when you stop and really go over this, uh, it's very interesting that um, it's among their own people. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so like it says a Hebrew servant. So uh, times get tough. You have debt. Things happen. You can just join right up with a, with a person that is successful, that's of your same ethnic background pretty much, uh, and actually uh, have a deal, have an arrangement. So it's almost like voluntary enlistment. Yeah. I, if you look at it like an employer and an employee, it kind of it makes sense yeah. too. Look at the military, um, right? I mean, right. like when you, when you join the military, I mean, not for nothing, they own you. Right. I mean, you you are. Well, uh, I mean, you know, that's the thing, though. This is not about ownership. It's Well, it's not. And that's not what I mean. Yeah. I mean that in the proverbial sense. Um, and obviously we can make a lot of contrast between this and, say, like American slavery. Right. Um, but I, mean, I find it interesting that we're in the last tour portion. And, you know, because remember, this is all about deliverance. Right. It's deliverance and then worship. So they get delivered from slavery in Egypt. They receive the Ten Commandments at the mountain, and then boom, right. the first set of laws they get in Mishpatim right. is about, quote-unquote, slavery. That's true. So it's, yeah. a, it's, it's like w- why the you know, odd you know, thing right. that we're here now describing this you know, servitude relationship. And I think the important piece here to recognize, uh, first of all, is that um, the Ten Commandments are very clear. Thou shalt not steal. Right. And right in the middle of this, we're going to get to it in just a second, but right in the middle of this, we see that you shall not kidnap somebody and sell them as a slave. And so what we're seeing here is that the idea that we have of quote-unquote slavery, that people say, oh, the Bible condones slavery, unequivocally not true. Right. There's zero, absolutely zero truth to that statement. And so I think that's important. And then the next piece of this is to understand that this is an economic system. That's right. That there's being prescribed here, not a system of quote unquote ownership right. of slaves and slavery, but rather a way for us to uh, have provision for yes. all people because this people is, can come and fall under somebody else's umbrella. This is yeah. This is all about um, this is all about a certain society. Yeah. Well, and notice You're creating this. a society. Notice this. There's right? provision. It says that you know they'll work for six years and then they can go free for nothing. Now this nothing doesn't mean they don't get anything. This right. nothing means they don't have to pay their master to be released after six years. And there's some choices. So we'll get into some of the details here. But and I that's think, the arrangement, right? So you know, there's a lot more to go to this. We won't go into great detail, but we just want to cover it. If he was married before becoming a servant, he could leave with his wife. Uh, if the master had given the servant a wife and she bore him sons and daughters. They would have to stay if the servant left. Interesting. So we'd have to go into that a little more detail and say, what's the, what's the story on this? Because I don't know. It's just that, that's, that one seems a little tricky. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, like if, my, if he gave me Danielle. Yes. And then we had children, I can't leave. Well, you can, but you would have to leave behind Danielle. And yeah, see, so there's got to be more well, to this that we have to develop, you know what I mean? No we doubt. We don't just mock it and, and be scornful, you know? So let's let's think of it this way, right? So there's there's laws on the books in the U.S., but it doesn't mean, like, for example, probate is a perfect example. When you die, if you did not leave behind instructions, either through a, uh, you know, a trust or a will or it's something like that. going to like the that, state. Then the state is going to, right. by their laws, decide how things get divvied That's up. That's true. Now, let's say that I'm in the master position and you, you know, and we give you Danielle, right? Right. Just because this is the law, right, I can exercise my rights under the law. But let's say we came up with some sort of an arrangement of our own where right. we agreed upon something, then we would be bound yeah, by that. I'd like to look into that a little more. Particular agreement. That's something that we need to think about. That's how we can start studying more and but looking at it. Mike Cromwell last night, I'll tell you what, so, you know, 
he has some good points every once in a while, right? You know what they say, even a broke clock is right twice a day, right? He's got some great ideas. <laughs> and so he was talking about this as the picture of us and Yeshua and us being bond servants to him, right? So he redeemed us. And so in in this case, what's happening... You don't happening, want to leave. Well, and, well and, but here's the deal. These people here, when we're talking about these slaves or these servants... We're referring to people who are in some other form or fashion in a bad way, right? They're in debt. Right. They owe something to somebody, whatever. And so this master, quote unquote, this person is coming and redeeming this individual. So what a different way to look at it from I bought a slave to I redeemed this person from their debt. And I think that's the way we need to look at it. Oh, it's absolutely the only way. So it's almost like a um, we talk about a welfare system. Right. But this is what we're actually looking at among the Torah. But now but, I but come in. More to it I come that. into this relationship with this master, and in this case Yeshua, and they literally give me everything: my wife, my kids. Right. Who am I to leave? I mean, right. at that point, I'm I'm not just indebted, you know, in in on paper in reality from right. a monetary cost standpoint, but now I'm indebted from my heart. And right. I'm you know compelled to serve. You know, in perpetuity at that point, and that's the picture that we're looking at here. Oh yeah, I mean, you just got to you got to develop it and build it and look at it, you know, because God doesn't change. He's offering this. He's showing this. This is how it works. Yeah. So we have to accept it for for what it is, because it's for our own better. Yeah. It's for our own good. Yeah. And if the servant shall plainly say, "I love my master, my wife, and my children," I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. So this is a sign uh, that's used in that particular time uh, to establish this, to say, hey, I've got a good arrangement. I'm going to stay. You know, and you can see that a lot of times, um, even in society or families or organizations, uh, people will just stay for a long, long time. They're not going to go anywhere. Right. You know? Um, even if they go and venture somewhere else or something, they'll take their people with them. You know, it's kind of interesting. Even like when you're a, a president, you're going to want to put your friends in office. You know, just like I remember, uh, what is it, John Kennedy put Robert Kennedy as the attorney general when he was president. So you can see all these things happening that's very interesting. And a master could not sell his maidservant to whom he was betrothed to a strange nation. So you can see that connection there, uh, that, that it's got to stay within the family. Uh, that's what the Jews do so well. They just stay together. They have communities. They protected themselves. You know, people would say that they isolated themselves and and cut themselves off, but it really was a matter of preservation. Absolutely. I think. Uh, if a master wanted to betroth the maidservant to his son, she was to be treated like a daughter. So you're like marrying into the family. Oh, yeah. Your status is changing. It says here that if a master wants to take another wife, he must provide her with food, raiment, which is clothing and conjugal rights. What other system so, do you find where someone can, quote-unquote, elevate their status? This is thousands of well, years Well, we got to go back to even uh, the story of, uh, you know, Hagar, the, the handmaiden or the, the maid servant with uh, Sarah. Right. She went from being that to a wife because she bore Ishmael to Abraham. Right. Uh, just like the two uh, handmaidens or uh, whatever you want to call them um, that were the helpers to... Rachel and Leah, which was Bilhah and Zilpah, because they bore children, they're, they're, they were elevated to the status of basically wives. Oh, absolutely. Um, whether Jacob loved them or not, you know, that's beside the point. So it's something to think about. Um, and so, I, you know, the question is, why were these judgments given between a master and a servant as we quickly move along here? So why were these judgments given between a master and a servant to have the guidelines, to have a reference point. Well, and this it is can't be just a free for all. But you said he said you know all about that, don't you? I do. You know about that. I do. But here's the deal: so, this what we're looking at is the bare minimums, right? So we're right. looking at the we're not looking at hey, this is the ideal circumstance. This is the ideal situation. This is the the stopgap to prevent, you know, the poor treatment of somebody, right? Or somebody from you know mishandling a situation. True. That doesn't mean that hey, a master who gives a wife to their servant can't allow that person to go free right. with their, their wife and kids. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, this is something that I would like to study a little more deeper to protect personally. both parties. And I would love to get the Jewish perspective on it. The Jewish sages, you know, um, their commentary and how, how it would be established because I think that we could learn a lot, Yeah, uh, which is kind of cool, you know, and it's, it's, it's like I said, it's almost, it's almost like a welfare system in a way, but the person is still responsible and working. 
Right. It's a little different than a free handout. Sure is. So once again, and, and I'm not I'm not against warfare, but anyway, we go into uh, Exodus chapter 21 still. Verses 12 through 21 are laws against violence. Boy, laws against violence. So uh, I'm going to let Ryan take it from here. Ooh, my turn. Yeah, I'm going to drink coffee. See, I'm not against violence. <laughs> well, meaning there's good violence and bad violence, right? There's right, the type yeah. of violence that protects your home. and yeah, the, you know, the violent taken by force. Well, but when that connotation, we're talking about Righteous. like a, hoarders or marauding. You well, know. I was just saying that, uh, what does it say in the Bible? Lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the penalty for murdering another person? It's death, capital punishment. So capital punishment is found in the Bible. It, it's in the Bible, and they're, they're doing away with it. And capital punishment is condoned in the Bible. You can actually see it. Yeah, it's there. So, so yeah, it's there. It's there. So it's interesting how people would say, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to eat from the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, and just give them a life sentence. Right. But if the crime fits. I would say that the... Pro, the, the where people struggle is in who creates the laws and is there righteousness in their laws. When you have a completely righteous lawgiver, right, and you can depend on their judgment to be completely righteous a hundred percent of the time, then you have no issue following through with something like capital punishment. But when you feel like your system is a system created by men and not by God, and that you are fallible people and could make misjudgment, then to err on the side of caution, you don't allow capital punishment. And so it's more of a lack of faith and trust in the justice system and in the laws that have been created that people don't have trust. And God in is a righteous punishment. judge. He is. He's not going to judge with the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears. Right. But he is a righteous judge. Yeah. So the penalty for striking your parents or cursing your mother or father was death. So there's murder, and then boom, right away we're talking about hitting your parents is, you know, is a capital crime. Man, that's a big deal. Um, God not a really, good thing. God really elevates so if you're honoring not a good your mother parent, and father. If you don't have the good parental skills and the kids run the house. Yeah, you might be putting your kids in danger. We've, we, I've heard of stories where the children have hurt the parents or yeah. gotten into fisticuffs, you know, and oh yeah, not good. No, it's not good at all. It also says here, and I was referring to this earlier, if you steal a man and sell him, the punishment is death. So now, that's human trafficking, This right? is period, and it doesn't say a Hebrew man. This says any man. Yeah. So when I say that... So the world's in agreement that what, human trafficking is a crime. Well, the world is in agreement that... But they're not going to say capital punishment. The world in general um, is in agreement that slavery is inherently evil. Right. In the connotation of, I own someone else. Right? right. That's not okay. So there's a note here that says, the fifth commandment of honoring your mother and father is the only commandment with a blessing that your life may be long upon the land, so that it may go well with you and you'll live long in the land. That's what it says. Um, I'm going to read to you guys uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. And it says here, And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So what would you say, Pastor Nick, is the principle for me to gather from this? Does this literally mean that like, if somebody, you know, accidentally hurts me and I, I lose my hand that I need to, you know, retributions you know, it, to cut their hand off. It's interesting how you, you, you have to look at it and keep it in context. What it actually means is it's retaliation versus restitution. Right. So that's the difference. You know, so it's that, equal punishment for the crime. A, yeah, but it's actually restitution, though, you know, to make to make it right. We're going to discuss that as we get down the line here. But um, I don't know if you want to if you want me to read Matthew. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. So Yeshua quotes this from the Torah in Matthew 5.38. So once again, the reference, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, and this is what it actually says. I think this is very interesting. Once again, uh, Yeshua is going to raise the bar on the Torah. We think, oh, Torah. But when he comes, he's going to raise the bar. So, And the word here is retaliation. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that... Resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, 
let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, churn not thou away. So I think it seems Yeshua is, he raised the bar in regards to restitution. So not only, you know, to make it right, but make it to make it really right. Right. Like don't hold a grudge. Okay. There's going to be restitution, but really look at it like, you know, okay, I'm going to give back more than what even the Torah requires. You know? Well, so he raises the bar like like Yeshua said, if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So he raises the bar on the Torah. And see, people don't realize that. He raises the bar, but he really doesn't tell anyone anything that's not already a spiritual principle, right? So he's a good rabbi. So he goes to the principle, the spiritual principle behind the commandment. So in the case of, you know, adultery, as you mentioned, the spiritual principle is, look, if I'm not lusting after women in my heart to begin with, then guess what? I'm not in danger of, of committing adultery. Uh, Orthodox Jewish men don't even shake a woman's hand who's not their wife. They won't touch. So imagine how often do you see adultery within the Orthodox community? I would say it's probably 10,000% lower <laughs> than it is in the world at large. Well, look, at this as an example from you know being sued at the law or whatever. The point here, the spiritual principle, is that we have faith in God that vengeance is his, that he will make retribution on our behalf, that we don't have to fight for ourselves, that God will fight for us, and that we don't have to feel like, man, I'm catching the the bad end of this stick. Guess what? If you, in obedience to God, and are are persecuted for his name's sake, guess what? You think that he's going to take that lightly? I would say that you not taking matters into your own hand and having faith and obedience to him would go a long way into making him go even further in, you know, rectifying that situation. You know, um, I don't know. What I, what I see here, though, with this whole retaliation thing, what I see is Yeshua is like, listen, we have a code of conduct here right. for, for, you know, kind of a retribution or restitution. Mm-hmm. And so what he's basically saying is don't take this personal, mm-hmm. get over it, and don't and even, you know, respond back in a positive way. Yeah. So that's that's what's really, you know, all these injustices and things that we try to cope with and deal with. He's kind of like saying it's going to all work out. Yeah. The Torah does have restitution, but at the same time, you know, you can give more than even that. Well, let's take something like this out of context. You, I don't, I it's think, almost like you got to take it, take it on the chin. Well, I, I think less than that. I think the point is here where you have, you know, things that are showing that the punishment has to fit the crime. Right. Right. You don't go and, and if it's if it's something, you know, if you if you accidentally hurt somebody's ox or hurt somebody's ox or whatever, then you replace the ox. Right. It's, right. it's, it's a restitution. It's equal, you know, you know, equity is it's right. about equity. Right. In 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 uh, making decisions and judgments and things like that. And so a servant is allowed to leave his master if he loses an eye or a tooth because of an altercation. And so um, this is the point that, hey, look. You can't beat your servants. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, because guess what? The law says pretty clearly that if you are mistreating your and servants. That's a conflict of interest, too. Now you're leave. like, you know what? You, you, you could get over it, but then what do you do? So as we continue on in Exodus chapter 22, we're going to go right into repayment. I like how it says it, repayment. I like yeah, that. Restitution, yeah. Repayment. Uh, what is a man to repay if he steals an ox or a sheep? So for an ox, you give five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Very good. You know, uh, time doesn't permit us to read it all, but in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, uh, King David... Um, he's called out by Nathan the he's prophet. He's called out by Nathan the prophet, and he tells the story about the rich man, right, with mm-hmm. all the sheep and the herds and very wealthy. And then, of course... Uh, and he talks about the poor man with his one little lamb. And uh, he ties it in to what David did with Bathsheba and uh, Uriah the Heatite. You know, he ties it all in, a, in a, like a parable. Yeah. And so David gets mad. And he says, that man must be put to death and he must, ex- you know, give back fourfold. Yeah. So, so anyway, Nathan the prophet shares a story to King David about a sheep being taken from a poor man. And David knew that four sheep would have to be given in return. I thought I thought that was very very so David knew the interesting. Torah. 
He did. This is a little, little so, clue. So what I want to just encourage all of you, and the, the, the Bible, I use the PAP method. It's principles and purposes. So once you understand the principles and purpose, then you're like, oh, okay, that could work, you know. Uh, and so once That's again. the PAP, the PAP method. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do PAPI. So anyway, I, as we look at this story, it's very interesting. And of course, you know, David does pay the price. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I was looking, uh, reflecting on King David. And I guess I was looking at, he, at, at one portion of scripture. He had four sons from four different women. So to add Bathsheba to the to the harem or whatever just seems like trouble. Yeah, you know. But we'll get to talk to him about this. We will. David, tell us about your love life. How did it go? What was going on? You're a passionate, you know, you know, man, a warrior, but you know, a man after God's own heart. You know, but what, what went down? I mean, you just if you had to do it over again or whatever. So think about you know. People always say, "What are we going to do in heaven?" We're going to be talking to everybody. Well, and, and I think Main that, people. you know, it's it's always important to mention that uh, David paid the price. Um, yeah, he did. You know, he lost his son over right. the incident. Right. And um, one son murdered another son. And, and Right. So, you know, this is uh, a situation where it says that, you know, David's after God's own heart. It doesn't mean that he was, you know scot-free and that he got away with things um he definitely didn't he paid the price so the whole one lamb you have to give four back it's called fourfold so if we look at zacchaeus in luke 19 verse 8 this is right out of the new testament this is so cool and zacchaeus stood and said unto the lord behold lord the half of my goods i give to the poor and if i have taken anything from any man by false accusation i restore him fourfold so he was a money lender, or whatever, money changer. Yeah. And of course, uh, I restore him fourfold. That's a big, I'll tell you what. That's a principle. If we had a fourfold restitution law in the U.S., I would say that we'd have a lot less uh, white collar crime. Well, that's the whole thing. I think, you know, unless those days shall be short, no flesh shall be saved. Oof. Uh, you know, just seeing the condition of our culture in the world, it's everything to, to pull out of that. Uh, as we move on here, we have a... Uh, uh, a, a special word. What is the word used to describe paying people back for their property? Restitution. It's restitution. It's found in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 3, uh, verses 5, 6, and 12. So there's four references here. And as I was looking, there's another word for this uh, found in Job, but this is the only time this word is used. You know, this so word, it's a, it's this word civil... restitution in verse 3 is full restitution. So yeah, so it's a, it's a civil law. Yeah. Uh, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It's number 7999. This is what this word means. Hmm. So let's say that, that we just look at this. Uh, to be safe in mind, body, or estate. To be completed. Mm -hmm. To be friendly. Mm -hmm. To reciprocate. Mm -hmm. I, I would like that to a friendship. Yeah. If someone's always given to you but you're not giving to them, then that's not a friendship. You have to reciprocate. Yeah. Uh, to make amends. Mm -hmm. So the the reference here is that you're in a state of good being, and then it's broken up. Something happens where there needs to be restitution because your life was broken up. Right. So something has to be repaired and fixed. So that why? So that you could be safe in mind, body, or estate. Right. Uh, and so that's what we actually. Um, see in that so that's really a good thing you know so it's kind of like um, and we, we can go to this later but the reference is like um, let's say I borrow a book from somebody and I spill coffee on it now even with the Amazonian price I am to give them the same book back plus 20 percent mm -hmm. so it's a it's a cool thing to practice and follow it's never even been taught uh, and that's really the reference. That's really what we're referring to here. And you can go off and look at that for yourself. You know, uh, I think there's a gentleman that made a, a comment about uh, using somebody's barbecue grill and the owner's there and it blows up or it just, you know, whatever, quits working. Um, the person there at the barbecue is not responsible. But if the owner's not there and you're borrowing it and something happens to it, you are obligated to give it back in full yeah. operating order yeah. so these are all principles that are so cool because you know there's so many things that we could say you know uh, in regards to oh well you know too bad that sounds like a religious ruling you know like somebody gave there yeah you know so um you want to move on to uh i would love to actually 
get into laws of human relations? Um, you know, these, uh, these laws of human relations, I don't think, would be, these would be seen as uh, outdated, I believe, today. Uh, by the general public. I love them. I do too. I look at this, and that's what I teach my kids. Well, everything here I've taught my kids. I think that, um, you know, having Pam Stenzel here, and she gives such a good perspective um, when she came for our purity yeah. conference, that when we get into things about human relations and we start to get into these principles, like, for example, this first one if a man entices a maid who is not betrothed and lies with her, what is to happen? Well, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. So this this term endowed, right? You can't just go around willy-nilly, <laughs> right? You can't just go around uh, being promiscuous and think that this is okay, right? right? And in our culture, people have just absolutely lost their minds when it comes to this because we've found ways uh, around the consequences uh, so to speak. But what Pam Sinzel makes the point of is there is a price that is paid. Whether you pay it now or you pay it later, it's going to be paid. And Well, I'm past the five-year mark. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But my point being that there is a price that's paid, whether spiritually, no, physically, relationally, or all together, all three. So just so you understand, everyone, um, the first person that you are intimate with you have to marry. Hmm. So go back to your first boyfriend or girlfriend that you were intimate with. You know, we yeah. won't go into the details. Yeah. That's the one you should have married. Yeah. And, and, and we have to teach this to the next generation. You know, and this if is you a, are that intimate with somebody. This is a good time to take a minute and say like, hey. And you have a consummation. If you're that person who did that, you know what I mean? Oh, kudos. Because too often, you know, we celebrate the repentant sinner. You know what I mean? You know, and we don't thing, get a you know, chance just, to my, celebrate my, the people that did it My daughter just turned 14, and we took her out and gave her a promise ring uh, and, and just talked with her and, 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 and showed her, you know, that that uh, this is the right way to go and be and do. And I, and I just, I, I, I do trust my children to make that right decision. You know, uh, they've been taught it. They know it. Right. Which is better than what we had, I think. Yeah. You know, nothing against my father or mother, but yeah. I'm just saying that we really do teach that here at Bay Tehila Betrothal. So you want to continue yeah, on? Yeah, I do. So here's the big question. Are you ready? Why is betrothal better than dating in regard to starting a marriage? Now, remember now, if, if someone's not religious or doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not a Christian, they're not even going to want to talk about this. Well, that's why we have word phrases like, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's right. So I would, I would just like to make two points on that question. Um, betrothal is biblical and dating is not. Number two, dating just sets you up for divorce. And this is where you get soul ties. Mm -hmm. I, I always tell people, you know, did you actually love someone and they didn't love you back? Did somebody love you and you didn't love them back? Boy, I can look back on that. Right. And that is painful. Right. So all that pain that you felt, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the guys talking about these different relationships, putting nails into this wood in the fence and says, well, look, that's not that bad. Look, OK, here's one relationship. Here's two. Rela here's like six nails in the fence. And then the, 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 the father tells the son, go ahead and just pull those nails out and look at all the holes. It's like a picture of our heart. Right. And that's something that's hard to, to get over, to recover. So your heart is now holy. I don't know. It's not going to be good, though. <laughs> so, uh, you know, betrothal versus dating. Um, so first off, betrothal is better because it's a guided process. It leads you. It's with the intention to marry. Well, I want to describe I want to describe my perception of dating. Right. Because everything's about perspective. People think that, oh, you should date because then you can uh, try different things and then figure out what you like, what you don't like. And then eventually you'll be able to make a decision on whoever or whatever. Right. So that's that's probably the one pro that people would say about dating, okay? Right. But uh, the problem with that is that what we're essentially saying is, hey, you at 17, 18, 19, 20, between 18 to 25, right? At your dumbest point in your whole life, you were smarter before this time, you'll be smarter after this time. Why? Because you are a hormone-filled you know, individual without the benefit of the experience to move yourself forward in the right direction. And right. so your judgment, you might as well just be drunk, right? Because essentially you are in some way, shape, or form because of your age and your lack of experience. And so 
how do we contrast that with, and, and think about it. Then we tell them, hey, go do this by yourself, right? You, the kid that I have, you know, been, you know, keeping safe all this time, let me just send you off to go make this decision all by yourself, which is probably the biggest decision you'll ever make. So betrothal is a positive because it's a guided process. So I think a lot of people have confusion about betrothal, thinking that it's some sort of a arranged marriage situation. There are steps to the betrothal. There are steps, but what I mean by that is it's not arranged marriage. I think that's probably right. myth buster number one. Right. It's not arranged marriage because it's a voluntary process, right? You don't you don't just get sold off, right, to uh, another person because of, you know, the families are making a deal on that's some right. land, right? You're not going to, your dad's not getting five cows for, you know, giving you away to somebody or something like that, right? And so because it's a guided process and both sets of parents in the ideal situation are involved in this, think about this. In with uh, in many counselors, there is safety, okay? Right. So you're making a big decision and then the biggest decisions of your life, you that's should right. have a guided process that has structure and many counselors. And the last thing is that betrothal recognizes and acknowledges that the foundation of marriage is not an emotional infatuation. Right. That it is a uh, lifelong commitment to another person that while you may be able to, quote unquote, fall in love with somebody uh, in the dating process, the betrothal process recognizes that there's more to marriage than just this temporary emotional feeling that you have, you know? Uh, and I think that that's a big deal. And I know that my kids, I will be encouraging to wa let, you know, me and my wife walk them through the process of finding a mate rather than just sending them right. off to go decide on their own. And so yeah. with that in mind, participating, um, you know, we'll be laying that foundation along the way for them and we pray for their spouse. Um, you know, it's another um, picture that I received from somebody telling me that, hey, you know, they sat down like you guys took uh, Hadassah to, um, you know, to dinner or whatever and gave her a purity ring. What an awesome picture that is. But, hey, they even uh, Pam Sinzel, I think she said that they had another seat right at the table and they ordered a meal for that seat and everything. And they said it's a little weird. They warned the waiter ahead of time and they said, hey, you know, just so you know, your spouse is alive today. They're a real person walking the earth. And your commitment is already to them. So if you have in your mind that you're already committed to them, then you'll make your decisions as right. if you're already committed to that's that true. person. And so it makes it more real, I think. And that's, I think, how we should look at betrothal, not as uh, an arrangement. It's not that. There's a lot going on here. I mean, and hey, and, if, and not to make anything better, but the next law, you ready for this? Yeah. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Wow. You can marry a witch. Do we need to say any more? <laughs> don't that marry a witch. That is the punishment. Don't, the don't occult me. is bad news, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you wonder where these fallen angels have come from and what they're doing, but they are wreaking havoc in the earth. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. You know, remember Bewitched? Yeah. Of course, how Elizabeth do you prove Montgomery? somebody's a witch? You remember the Salem witch trials? No, I understand that, yeah. but, but, you know, the occult is pretty bad. Yes. Now, it's kind of interesting that all this is found in the Torah, yet look at our culture. Witchcraft and the occult, mm. all the things we're supposed to avoid— even um, King Saul summoned the spirit of Samuel or whatever, a familiar spirit, Ugh. to summon him. Gosh. And he got all this witchcraft out of the land that he called on it. He fell back on it. See, what happens is if we don't draw near to God, he can't draw near to us. And then we're, we're left to our own demise. You know, um, what two things are not uh, we are what two things are we not to do to strangers? Well, to strangers, we're not to vex them or oppress them. Because we were strangers in a strange land. Correct. You know, that's why, like, when you, you go to Sometimes the mall Sometimes I still feel like a stranger in a strange yeah, land. Yeah, well, you just got to hold the door for people <laughs> and, 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 and do something courteous, you know. Uh, be a gentleman, you know. That's what I've learned. Uh, we move on into, of course, we, we talk about betrothal. I think the point... which to live. I think strangers. the point here on the vexing of strangers is also, you know, people criticize what they don't understand. So when people come from another culture and somebody comes in there of a race or an ethnicity or a culture that's not normal right. to you, I think people have a tendency to make fun of them or ostracize them. Especially happens with young people and kids. And that's like with culture, you got to be careful. Right. And so respect we don't it. we don't want to do that. We want to respect people, respect where they're coming from. Um, and and we're still in human relations. This right. is the subject matter, human relations. What is going to happen to anyone who afflicts a widow or a fatherless child? Ooh, the Lord will kill them with the sword. So the example that I like to use is Haman. 
uh, and what he tried to do as far as a genocide against the Jewish people, even Esther herself, who was a Jew. Hangman. Uh, and of course, he said, the Lord will kill them with a sword. Yeah, that's right. Hanging Haman. <laughs> so what happened? Haman and his sons were hung yep. for the harm that they were going to bring to the Jewish people. Uh, once again, this is all about. That's right. For the plot against the queen. Human relations. When you lend money to his people, you cannot charge them interest. There goes Visa, MasterCard, and Discover. We are commanded to give God our first fruits and our firstborn sons. Okay, we, why? Because they belong to Him. You know, I'm a firstborn. Josiah is a firstborn. So I want to make a clarification, so I give to the Lord, real quick, on usury law, okay. where it says that you cannot charge interest because the law is very clear. Right. Right. The law says this. It says, "If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor, by thee thou shalt not be to him as a usurer." neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. So in other words, somebody's hard up and can't afford to live, and they're poor, and they need money to buy food and essentials. Right. You can't charge that person interest. Right. Does that mean that mortgage interest is anti-Torah? No. I think that's an important distinction to make, that there's a difference between uh, taking advantage of the poor, right. which is what Visa and MasterCard do, essentially. I'd have to probably look into that a little <laughs> further, but you're right. It says it right here. It's a good point. Let's read the verse. I try to just read it and understand what it says for my simple brain. And I love what it just throws in here. You know, God wants holy men for himself. Exodus twenty two thirty one. So if he's asking us to be holy, then we can do it. I can do better at that. So uh, that's where we're at on that. Um, let's move on to uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> you want to jump into that? And I, I can I do. read a few scriptures. I, I, I do. I'm actually uh, pretty passionate about being genuine and truthful. So um, Exodus 23, 1 says this, Thou shalt not raise a false report, put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So if you remember, um, you know, in the New Testament, they had to go and find... Yeah, I want to read that. Oh, go ahead, please. So Matthew 26, verses mm -hmm. 59 and 60, in regards to Yeshua and the false witnesses, mm -hmm. it says, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. Wow. You know, it's not good. It's, uh, it's not good. I can only imagine what it must be like to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as one of the false witnesses in that situation. How about one of the Roman soldiers that slapped him and he's like prophesied? Who did it? Yeah, not good. I don't want to be that guy. Not good. No, I don't want to be that guy either. Um, you know, because judgment or judge, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he is the Lord. And uh, I think that he will repay everyone for their deeds. And I think that's an important thing to remember for all of us. Um, so being an unrighteous witness, uh, to be very clear, means that you're claiming that somebody did something or that you witnessed somebody do something and you didn't witness it. That's the ninth commandment. But why is Thou this shalt not bear false witness. But Boy, the earth is full of this. But think about why this is important. Accusations and charges. Think about why this is important, though. Because... When we want to establish someone's guilt, in the Torah, guilt is established by what? By two or three right. witnesses. Right. So the whole justice system hinges on a righteous witness or righteous witnesses. And so if we're putting ourselves in a position where we're going to be an unrighteous witness, then uh, that's... That's going to put us in a bad spot. I don't and think you I'm, reap what you sow. And you reap what you sow. Charges so, will come against you. I don't think this, I mean, look, lying is not good, right? I think that this is specifically referring to people accusing people of things or saying they witnessed things that they didn't. Um, and, and I think that, that the reason that it's important is because of what I, I just said. Um, I think that there's other considerations that go into the general lying. There's other commandments that address it. This specifically, I believe, is about bearing false witness. Um, you're supposed to swear to God too, right? Well, and you don't. You're going to tell the truth, and you don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, right? So that's an example. If you were to then lie, now you're breaking two commandments at the same time: taking the Lord's name in vain and um, number ten. Yeah, let's do it. Are we to give back another person's belongings when they are lost, and we find them? Well, I believe it says that you're supposed to do that. The answer is yes. 
it says that you are definitely supposed to return someone's belongings if you find And, of them. course, the joke is, you know. Losers or finders keepers. Finders keepers, losers, weepers. Man. Yeah. But uh, I don't think that's that if you believe the Torah has been done away with. So let's just look at it like that. You find somebody's possession and you give it to them. You just did Torah. Have you ever been in the position no, where principle. you lost your wallet or something? There's and a principle. Somebody like mailed it to you. Oh wow! Wouldn't that be like, because your address is on your driver's license, right? That's true. So you find somebody's wallet. What do you do? You either turn it into somebody That's or true. you mail it back to them. That's a good. You, you word. get it to them. Um, the land is to have rest and be still in the seventh year. So this is the shemitah year, uh, and then. Six days you can work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. These are interesting little What principles. an oppressive God we serve. This is this is very good. I like all of this. You know what I find I interesting this. I love this. about this commandment? This is great. We always talk about this, this being about the Sabbath. But you know what else it says? It says six days you shall work. Right? That sounds like a command that, hey, you got if six. You don't work. You don't eat. That's right. Well, it does say that as well. That so we've got number 11 here is what three national feast days are to be kept throughout the year. Real quickly here, we just want to go over this. Just give you some little tidbits. I have a, the three a, national a, feast a little days. display for wow. everybody. Look at that. Ooh, you see all the pretty colors on that? You got it. So we have eight feast days, but there are three national feast days. And these, this is God's redemptive plan through the national three national feast days. And by the way, uh, this is found in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 16. And then it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. So just to uh, clarify here, there are eight feast days counting the Sabbath, but there are three national feast days that actually show God's redemptive plan. Quickly, let's go over this. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover. Would you all agree, and would you agree, Ryan, that um, we have, of course, the Exodus from Egypt, the lamb on the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, they came out 3,500 years ago, and yet Yeshua, of course, is our lamb who took yes. away the sin of the world. So we say yes to both of those. So it has been fulfilled. And is being fulfilled. And, is and being people fulfilled. are giving their lives to the Lord and becoming born again. Today. Uh, right, absolutely. Uh, so we would agree. Yes. Now, the second one is the Feast of the Harvest, or the or Shavuot, or Pentecost. Would you agree that in Exodus 19, in the third month, that, that the Feast of Shavuot was celebrated through the giving of the Torah and the marriage covenant? Yes, we read about that covenant. last week. So that that has been fulfilled. Yes. And, how, and it is being fulfilled because we know 2,000 years ago on the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, that the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled among the disciples and all those that were waiting for it. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So prophetically, we're in Shavuot, or the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit. Yes. But there's some competition. Right. There's some challenges called familiar spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit, but there's all these other spirits. So we would agree that this has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled. So two-thirds of God's plan has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled. Last but not least is the Feast of Ingathering, which is called Tabernacle. So would you agree that they were to make booths, temporary dwelling places, to commemorate coming out of Egypt? Yes. And so that's, uh, of course, uh, we're already 2,000 years into gathering. So would you say that God is, is gathering his children at Beit Tehillah? Oh, absolutely. And families and individuals. Uh, I am absolutely. a son of the Most High. So, so, so we have to understand that God is gathering, not scattering. Correct. A lot of churches are still closed. It's kind of sad. Why? Why would they stay closed then? We're considered essential. Get those churches opened. That's right. What kind of pastor are you? Well, the Supreme what Court kind of, of leadership is in that Supreme church Court of California to keep it shut down? Uh, killed the uh, the ban on 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 churches opening. So so yeah. So I just want to encourage you that God has called us to come together and to be together. So let me just move on here. Uh, what was going to go before the people to keep them in the way and bring them to the place that He has prepared? This is cool. So this is an angel of the Lord, right? right? Which, which we look at this and we see a pre-incarnate appearance of Yeshua, the Son of God. Because we know in the scriptures, we find even in the Church of Corinth, in Acts, that 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 rock that followed them right, so the was Yeshua. Yeah. So Yeshua was at Mount Sinai when oh, they yeah. made covenant. Oh, so we sure. need to clarify all that and know all of that. So that's so important that we there's so much in here, everybody, that we we're only going to try to take an hour. But we really want to promote the Torah portions, but get you to get into it and read it. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Ryan as we are on the top of page four with number 13 question. Absolutely. Fill so in the blanks. chapter 23 and verse 25 says this. It says, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. 
So this isn't exactly an if-then statement, but it says, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, right? So he's assuming right. that you're serving God, and he'll bless your bread and your water and take sickness away from you. So I think that's that's a pretty good, that is you know, good. benefits package for those that serve the Lord. Amen. And so the Lord was going to send hornets before his people to drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Heatite. That's why he wanted to bring his children into the land to get rid of the bad children. Correct. That's the whole point of it. And listen, these hornets that they're talking about are like no joke hornets. I mean, we're talking hornets. You ain't never seen these hornets. You know, remember what was at the beginning of 2020? Uh, was it murder hornets? Or yeah, there was a because <laughs> yeah. it was COVID and murder hornets. It's like, oh god, to see your kid get any yeah. worse. You know, I've got that meme. Yeah, <laughs> we should probably. I got to put something together and all that. We do. We do memes we from January till now. You know, we just need to, to tell the year. We need to probably start posting. I think some, that's the best thing about social media. Some Hebrew roots memes. I the mean, memes are really funny. Listen, people within the Hebrew roots, we have so much material to make fun of ourselves. I mean, like we could have an endless meme page. Yeah, all right, let's move on. <laughs> endless meme. Page. All right, here we go. We're moving on to chapter twenty-four. What about thou shalt make no covenant with them? Oh man, I missed a. Like the Oslo Accords and all these things. So thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor, nor with their gods. Nor with their gods. So see, land for peace is not going to work. No. He said, don't make covenants with these people. No. Okay, peace for land, land for peace. No, he says, don't do it. Yeah. Ain't going to do it. It's not prudent. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Yeah, so, and, Come the, on, and then the next thing says the agreement is signed. Exodus 24. <laughs> yeah, so, the right agreement. Yeah, the correct one, right. The covenant is well, the ratified. The government doesn't keep Torah, neither, neither does the Knesset. No, it's a secular. No, they don't. You know, it's uh, really parliament. We're working on it. You know, we're it's working okay, on it. It's okay though, but we can do Torah. There's more and more people um, that are, you know, coming to an understanding within uh, within Torah uh, within right. Israel, and I think that's an important thing to to note. I was, you know, I'll tell you what. Every once in a while, I'll see people just absolutely just, you know, Lashon hurrah the land, you know, about certain things. And I'm just like so frustrated with that because I'll tell you what, God loves the Jewish people. He loves the land of Israel. That's the apple of his and eye. And they're married to it. And, and and how can the world take them away from that? And well, and, oh boy. and they point to the sins of certain people within the land right. as a blanket, you know, broad stroke of, of what it is. And I've been there. Right. I've met these people. Right. These people love God. They love the land. I'm They're telling pioneers. You. And, and so I think that people just have a misunderstanding, and they try to say all kinds of weird, right. funky stuff. And listen, God loves Israel, the land of Israel, the state of Israel, the whole bit. And so, you know, in Exodus 19, there was a marriage covenant made. Uh, they were in agreement. And then they were given the Ten Commandments orally. Moses went over it. And now it's going to start to develop. Now he's going to ratify this thing. Finger of God. Let's right? go. All right, so what two different offerings did the young men of Israel present before the Lord? Once again, a burnt offering and a peace offering. And I want to interject quickly here. A burnt offering is totally consumed. Yeah. Nobody partakes of it. Nobody eats it. It's totally consumed. Now, a peace offering, uh, this is the only offering that the offerer can eat of. And it's found in Leviticus uh, chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. So let me just reiterate this, that God loves to eat. Mm -hmm. So what do you have at a wedding? But a reception. Yeah. That's why you have the marriage supper of the lamb coming up. Right. So, so this peace offering, uh, they were to actually able to partake of it. We're gonna, he's going to develop the storyline or this plot. Ryan is, but once again, this is all taking place, which is really cool. Yeah. No, it is. It is absolutely. So they're bringing offerings uh, in order to ratify this covenant with That's God. That's right. And so, what did Moses sprinkle on the people? He sprinkled the blood. Now, now, just remember this peace offering real quick. Let me go back to that real quick here. Um, a burnt offering is a picture of, of course, Yeshua giving his life. And then a, a meal offering or a grain offering goes with that burnt offering of servitude that you serve. It's unleavened bread. No honey either. So you can't put honey on it. So the third offering is peace offering. And then you have, of course, the sin offering and trespass offering. So the third offering is the peace offering that you get to partake of. So it's kind of like, hey, I've given my life to the Lord. I serve the Lord and his people. And God blesses me with peace offerings, which I've experienced. Yes. And now I can take my peace offering and share it with others because God has blessed me. And he gets all the glory and he's my, he's my sustenance. So it's a cool thing to do because seek first the kingdom of God and his and righteousness. His right, everything else will be added unto you. Praise For God. the sake of time, we're going to move on. So once again, uh, this covenant is ratified with blood. 
It is. Just like the blood of Yeshua. It is. What can wash away my sins? Because he renewed the marriage covenant. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's good. So who saw the God of Israel and ate and drank in his presence? And now, once again, uh, there's a verse that says, nobody has seen the face of God and lived, but he showed up as a theophany. He showed up in a way that people could see him and be with him. Like Remember, God loves to eat. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders were there for this wedding So this is a theophany. Yeah, it's a theophany. This is Yeshua. This is so cool. This is Yeshua. We're finding Yeshua here in the Yeah, let's in continue on. That, that's so good. So uh, chapter 24, verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me and into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Who wrote the tables and the commandments? The finger of God. Ding, 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 ding. It says it right here. The table of stones and a law and commandments which i have written if you're ever wondering who wrote the torah this would be a good verse to reference when trying to answer that question and i I know they talk about moses you know had the first computer right (laughs) two tablets and a cloud i mean you know now going back to the finger of god written yes right Remember what Yeshua said? We can read about this in Luke later. He says, by the finger of God, I cast out devils and demons. You know, so basically what it's saying is that when you get into the Torah, the teachings and instructions, uh, and you start becoming obedient, demons have to leave. Oh, yeah. See, we're trying to figure out how to live our life and what to do, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit. But then we have God's commandments. Jesus even said, if you you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But there's, you know, there's cool stuff in here. That's That's right. No, it is. It is. And so um, Moses is now going to be beckoned by God up in, you know, further into the mountain. So they're there and they're with the 70 elders. And he says, okay, you guys wait here. I'm going to go up and I'm going to receive, you know, from the Lord. And uh, Joshua went with him. And so Joshua was the minister to Moses as he went up. So I, I don't know if he carried his bags or what the story is there, but Joshua hung with him and went up the mountain with him. And he was the minister, like the associate pastor. Right. He's right. being groomed and prepared. Right. Yeah. And he's a fry him. That's right. I didn't make that up. So before going up the mount, Moses put Aaron and her in charge. Now her comes on the scene again. Remember, those yeah. are the two people that held up Moses' arms. That's right. As Joshua fought Amalek, and when Moses' arms would come down, they were getting defeated. But when the arms were lifted up and supported, they had the great victory. So this is the last time you're going to hear about her. Some say that he was from Judah and he was the husband of Miriam. But some would say that he is going to end up dying during the golden calf incident. You know, I think about certain people. But you don't hear about him anymore. In history, right? That were very significant at the time. Like, well, there are certain people that are alive today that we see on the news and we'll know exactly who they are because we're contemporary to them, right? But then, you know, in the history books in 50 years, we're just going to be reading the list we're of We're going to find out what really happened to her. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm just saying. I started thinking about that. I'm so excited about heaven. Oh, because we get to learn. Or yeah. heaven coming to earth and yes. all these stories oh, and yeah. fellowship. And all the people we get to talk with This is fellowship going to be the with. most awesome thing. Oh, I know. Well, it talks about Hebrews, the cloud of witnesses is looking down on us, yeah. cheering us on. Yeah, I'm ready to hang out with Abraham, talk to him, oh right? David. I mean, that'd be They're cool. all going to have like appointment books. Oh, yeah. They can't <laughs> see everybody. You know? But there won't be any time. Oh, I'll, I'll be able to see you in... Uh, the next millennium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll be outside of time space then, right? I mean, I assume. I don't know true. how it's we'll, going to we'll work. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we will. So for six days, the glory of God covered Mount Sinai. Um, I wonder why six days and not seven. Probably it's because coming. God so rested. It's coming. And so on the seventh day, the glory of the Lord abode, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And so then that, that's where we stop. We stop there. Moses is up the mountain. He's receiving from God. And then in the next Torah portion, he's going to give them messages to take back to the people. There's going to be some good stuff going on But that's, on that's where we stop. So, Pastor yeah. Nick, what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion, Mishpatim? I would just say this. I just have one thought. One thing I'd like to say is there is not one commandment that will hurt you. Mm. I'm just going to leave it at that. I like that one. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, this is excruciating. This is so hard. This is awful. This is terrible. Uh, I would say there is not one commandment that will hurt you. Remember, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about the relationship. Yep. You know, as a matter of fact, here's an interesting thing. If you want to really analyze or get technical, you know, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, over 200 commandments are in regard to the temple. 
Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, here's yeah, another yeah, thing. Sure. So if you got 613, that takes you down to 400 and something. I've heard there's like 217 that are but, applicable But how about this, right? Now, check this out. In the Dake's Annotated Bible, he makes a point, a reference. There's a thousand commandments in the New Testament. Oh, it's over a thousand, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to walk away. You can yeah. finish this up and close it up. I'm done. Yeah. That's it. That's I'm it. Good. That's it. Stick a fork I'm in you. I'm so good right now. Stick a fork in I'm good. You know, I, uh, I look at this and I'm grateful because I'll tell you what, so many times in my life have I been in a position where I was missing a key piece of information. And if I would have just had that key piece of information, it would have changed the outcome that I was in. Or when I received it, I was like, yes. And then I was able to move forward from that point on. Right. And so I look at things like this as that key piece. Because God is a loving father and we are his sons and And daughters. we want to know him. And he wants to instruct us on how to live and what to do and how to relate to one another and how to relate to him. And so I look at things like this and I'm thankful that he doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but that he gives us instructions. And this is the nitty gritty of instructions, right? This is do's and don'ts. This is black and white. It's clear. It's, you know, it's cut and dry and it's easy to understand. And so I'm for that. I'm thankful and I'm grateful. And I just praise God for, for that. And so, well, let me add one thing. Uh, mm, I don't know. I know we're over. I don't know. This is what I want to say. I just thought about this. because okay. There's a big portion of this that was this. God cares about our relationships and how we treat each other. So like this, you know, do unto others as you would like for them to do unto you. Yeah. So like if someone's not going to do that for you, shouldn't we do it for them? Yep. I like that. I think it's the complete Jewish Bible that that's that, that's how it's worded. So that's the so gold, they're not going to do that. That's the golden rule. Do you have you ever heard the platinum rule? No. Treat others the way they want to be treated. So, wow. Yeah. Because not everybody's the same. Maybe they don't want to be treated the way you want to be treated. Oh. Your father. Yeah. It's the next. That's the next level. So Father God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you so much that you are our Abba, that you have not left us here fatherless, Father, but that you have been our Father and that you give us instructions and that you love us enough to teach us and to reprove us, God, and to give us uh, the knowledge that you would bestow on us and that we could look around to the world, Father, and that we would not find the wisdom that we find here in the book that you gave us, Father. And so we praise you for that. We thank you for your word. We lift it up. We lift up your name. We lift up your Son, Yeshua, that all women and children would be drawn unto him, Father, because it is because of him that we are here. And so we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus, Yeshua, Meshikanu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in his name. Amen. All right. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.